The series was kind of something that uh, hit my heart because I, I think that uh, it's far too easy to connect our faith to a church more than Jesus if we're not careful. And that's where this whole series started. When you look at Jesus's life, he was very intentional about calling people to himself. And that was the first message, the person of Christ, who is Jesus. It was in Colossians chapter one. And so it was come and see. He was always inviting people, come see who I am, where he would reveal he's the Messiah. And when people responded to that, then it was come be with me. And they would spend time with Jesus. They watch how he prayed. They watched how he worshiped. They watched how he used God's word. And so it's where he invested in them and they spent a lot of time with Jesus. Then the third thing he did was come join me. Come join me. So come see, come be with me, come join me. And I would say that this piece for most of us is um, one of the most challenging pieces. I like being with Jesus. I like knowing about Jesus. But how much do you enjoy being on mission for Jesus? And that's what we're going to look at this morning. Last week, uh, the focus was on the great commandment. What was the priority? What's the one thing that Jesus was always teaching his followers? Was love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then love your neighbor as yourself. To be on mission with Jesus is where we really live out that loving our neighbor as ourself. Think about this. Jesus would have three and a half years to train his followers on what he expected them to do. Three and a half years, no plan B. It was, here's what I want you to do. And so they traveled with him and and walked long distances. They didn't go to Jerusalem. He didn't set up a new synagogue, didn't say sit in these classes and learn about me. He said, come be with me, come join me. And that's how he made disciples. That's how he made the followers. That's how he spread the gospel. He went into the world and shared the good news. Listen to three things that Jesus said this morning. In John 14, 12, Jesus said this, truly, truly I say to you, he who believes in me, the works I do, he will do also. Did you catch that? Anybody that says they believe in Christ, the very things that Jesus did, they're supposed to do. They're like, wait a minute, I didn't sign up for that piece when I started following Jesus. I thought I was just pray the prayer and I'm good. No, he says, if you believe in him, the very things he did, you will do also. John 17, verse 18 He, in his high priestly prayer back to the Father says, as you sent me into the world, I have also sent them into the world. And so as Jesus prays for the followers at that time and for us, he prays that we'll go into the world doing the exact same thing he did. And then in 1 John 2, 6, the scriptures say this, the one who says he abides in him ought to walk in the same manner as he walked. The passions and priorities of Jesus are to be the same passions and priorities of Jesus' followers. That takes a, uh, a training, if you will, so that's how we see Jesus for three and a half years training his disciples. But we're not saved into living the same way we did before we met Christ. 
If you're a confessing Christ follower this morning, Jesus wants you to live with the same passions and priorities that he has. Let me say this, a redeemed life, a redeemed life has a renewed heart with great commandment values that lead to great commandment actions. Today's message, John chapter 4, if you want to make your way there. If you don't have a Bible, we have some in the back. Really encourage you to grab one and follow with me in this passage this morning. You can also use your phone, your tablet, whatever you're using, but please find the scriptures and follow along with me. Because this message this morning out of John chapter 4 is going to highlight a training mission, one of many for Jesus, a training mission as his disciples followed him. I'm going to break it down in chunks as we go. Um, Earlier in chapter 3, verse 22, we learned that Jesus is um, in an area different than where John the Baptist is, and it says, Jesus is baptizing there, actually says Jesus' disciples were doing the baptizing, not Jesus himself. And that's what sets up chapter four. Let's look at verses one through six together. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, meaning John the Baptist, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well It was about the sixth hour. So here's the scene. Jesus is in Judea. If if you want to go to the back of your Bibles, there's a map. There's this area called Judea where Jerusalem was located. The next area north of that is Samaria. And then the area uh, north of Samaria is uh, the Sea of Galilee in the Galilee region. Jesus clearing the south is saying he's going to leave where he's at kind of interesting. There's baptizing happening. There's people coming to faith in Christ. And he says, we're going to leave and we're going to go to Galilee. Why did he do that? Well, the scripture here is saying that he's drawing a lot of attention because those following Jesus are greater in number than those following John the Baptist. He's drawing attention to himself. Well, not he, but the followers of Christ was. So it was time for him to move forward and take his disciples, which, by the way, was more than just the 12. He hadn't formally called the 12 to himself. That wouldn't happen until about two and a half years into his ministry. So we don't know how many followers there are at this point. And so he leaves this area and he's gone to Galilee. And it says he has to pass through Samaria. Wording there is significant. He didn't have to pass through Samaria. Actually, most very um, serious Jews, serious about their faith, would avoid Samaria. 
because they saw them as very unworthy, ungodly, half-breeds that denied the true Jewish faith. And so what would happen for those type of folks is instead of going straight through Samaria, they would do a bypass. They, they, would, they would go around Samaria and walk extra miles. Well, how much extra miles? Well, let's just say it was close to 75 miles with the direct route walking, 125 miles walking when you skip Samaria. You have to really dislike people to want to walk that much more. Because it's not an easy walk, by the way. You're walking through desert to get over to the Jordan River to bypass this area. And so Jesus takes his disciples intentionally through Samaria. And that, it's not that he only takes them through, he decides he's gonna stop, get a drink of water at a well. You think about that? Here's Jesus who has already drawn attention to himself. The Pharisees aren't happy with him. The religious leaders are starting to press in to cause him difficulty. And he says, we're going to leave. And in leaving, he goes to Samaria, which is going to make him look even worse and cause more difficulty. Let's jump into verse 7. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For the disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, asked for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. So while he's there at the well, we see the humanity of Jesus, tired, fatigued, needing a drink. A woman comes to the well. She comes to get water. And she engages Jesus and says, give me a drink. Sounds reasonable? Let's think of context for a minute. These people, the Samaritans, this lady, a woman who's a Samaritan with a water jug, if Jesus would have taken a drink from the water jug, would have made himself ceremonially unclean. And he says, hey, give me a drink from your water jug. Getting the picture? Getting an idea about the training mission Jesus is on here? Let's pick up in verse 10. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is very deep. Where do you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself and did his sons and his livestock. Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, Jesus said, but whoever drinks of the water that I give him, it will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water 
that I will not be thirsty and have to come here and draw this water again. If you jump back to chapter or verse 6, you learn that the woman comes to the well at the sixth hour. It's noon. People go to wells in the morning and at night to get water. She comes at noon. It's not bad enough that Jesus is going to this well in Samaria and defiling himself drinking of the water from a Samaritan. We're about to learn that this engagement Jesus has with this woman, this female, is even going to get more interesting. He begins to address with her a spiritual discussion. Why did Jesus go to Samaria? Well, first we'll learn he came because he wanted to speak with this woman, this woman, about faith in him. Verse 16, let's pick up the story. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered, I have no husband. (laughs) Jesus said to her, You're right in saying, I have no husband, for you've had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you've said is true, the woman said. Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know for salvation is from the Jews, but the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know the Messiah is coming. He was called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Now catch this. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. What's going on? Again, Jewish people disliked Samaritans. Remember, we just finished the series in Ezra and Nehemiah about those who went into exile in Babylon and then how they came back to Jerusalem to build the walls, to build the temple, to reestablish worship in Jerusalem. Samaritans stayed behind and intermarried with other people when the Jewish nation was taken captive in Babylon. They began to um, set up their own temple outside of Jerusalem. They began to establish their own practices of worship, but some of those included some idolatry. They set up their own religious system, their own beliefs. They looked at the first five books of scripture, kind of added to them, removed what they didn't like. And so this woman, as Jesus confronts her, is going at the very heart of the matter that we're gonna look at. Jesus takes his disciples on a training mission to address a lady 
a person who was far from God, who knew all about the right religious things to say, all the religious things to do according to Samaritan beliefs, and Jesus begins to confront her with the truth. You know, it's interesting. She, like so many of us, were so comfortable pointing their faith back to their Christ. Well, we worship on this mountain, you worship there. And Jesus said, you're trying to worship a God you don't even know. Isn't that the essence of what we witnessed in baptism? Ben and Sarah sharing with you the Christ that they know. We can come to church, we know how to sing the songs, we know the order of worship, we have a bulletin that'll tell us how to do it, which we need. But you can do all those things and miss the essence of Christ, the person of Christ that is the person that our faith is to be founded and grounded upon. And so she reflects, just like so many of us, she was relying on tradition and religion. She was so focused on pointing to the fact that we worship here on Mount Gerashim and we have our own temple, we do our own things, follow the laws that work for us. And reliance was on trying to please God by good works instead of knowing the personal God. And Jesus begins to engage her. Just, it's, it's hard for us to even get a grasp of how outrageous this was for Jesus to be sitting at a well at noon talking to a woman who had five husbands living with a guy that's a Samaritan. I, I mean, it's just unheard of. And Jesus doesn't care. That's where he goes. And that's why he came, to seek and save the lost. The training mission for Jesus was, if you're a follower of me, you'll go where you don't want to go. You'll talk with people you don't want to talk to, and you'll address them with the gospel I came and saved you by. And Jesus, when she says, I know the Messiah is coming. By the way, the Samaritans were believing from the first five books of scripture that there would be a restorer who comes, they called it. She's saying, yeah, I know there's going to be a restorer who comes. And he says, I am he. The original wording here is Jesus said, I am. Remember last week we talked about that self-revelation that title God uses of himself in Exodus when he says to Moses when Moses said who shall I say and you God says I am she would have been very familiar with that term and the way Jesus answers what's interesting about this story is she has a decision to make about Jesus doesn't she what am I going to do He's confronted me with my sin. He's confronted me in relationship. He's told me I'm worshiping a God I don't know. And then he says, he's the Messiah. What am I going to do with it? Look at verse 27. 
Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? You get the shock? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? Actual wording of that is more of affirmative. This is the Christ when she said that. It's kind of interesting that a Samaritan woman models to the disciples who have been traveling with Jesus longer than her. She kind of got the come and see by going to her town saying, come and see, find out about this Jesus. She believed at that point. Pick up a, verse um, 30. She went back into the town. She tells them, this is the Christ. They went out of town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? And Jesus said to him, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do not say there yet four months, then comes to harvest. Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life. So the sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying is true, one sows, another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you've entered into their labor. 39. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. He stayed there two days. Many more believed because of his word. They said, the woman is no longer, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe. We've heard for ourselves and we know that this is indeed the savior of the world. Let me give you a quick summary of three things that I think we have to take away. Number one, salvation is not the end. It is in our reconciliation to God. It is in making peace with God, renewing our sinful hearts, redeeming us, restoring us. But that's not the end of the story, folks. The end of the story is Jesus would spend the three and a half years training them to go into the world to share the very same things that he shared. Who's going to do it if they didn't do it? kind of strange, Jesus. Don't you have a plan B? No, it was an expectation. You believe in me, you repent and believe, now you follow me. You do what I say. There's three things. First, I think Jesus was telling his followers and teaching them they need to live or live seeing gospel opportunities. Live their life seeing gospel opportunities. I want you to note the one thing Jesus said here under this first point. He says, my food is do the will of him who sent me. Jesus was modeling to them the most important thing in life is not sitting down eating this food. 
most important thing to me is being obedient to the Father and living a life of intentionality. One of the lessons Jesus was teaching again is you can't have bypass mentalities in your life. You think about Ashland, for instance. We have the 250 bypass that goes all the way around, right? You could just travel that if you're going outside of Ashland, never have to encounter anyone. You can just get on with your life and your business. But if you go downtown, chances are you're going to meet people. And you're going to encounter people. Jesus was saying, look, look for every opportunity in life to live for me. Caring about what I care about, loving the things that I love. Well, for most of us, let's be honest, we would say, we're pretty busy. You know, I got stuff to do. I work hard and when I'm at work, I don't need the hassle of dealing with people. I want to get into the store. I want to get out of the store. I want to get my hair cut. I want to get out of there. I want to go to school, pick up my kids, and go home. And Jesus is saying, look, you can't have this bypass mentality in life. I came for every single person. And my gospel applies to every single person. We get so busy so busy that we forget that if we're a follower of Christ, every single day we have opportunities to live for him. Now, I'm not saying you gotta get a soapbox and stand at lunchtime at work and start preaching. I'm not saying that. If you can do that, go for it. I'm personally not wired that way. But I find it very interesting, the relationship that Jesus intentionally developed with this Samaritan woman and the modeling to his disciples. Are we too busy? Are, are, are we just too consumed with our life that it's just a headache to have to live on mission for Christ? When's the last time you realized that every moment of your life is an opportunity to be on mission for Christ? Again, Jesus goes to a well, asks for a drink of water, develops a spiritual conversation. It's pretty natural. It wasn't unnatural in any way, right? And it is out of that interaction that this lady comes to faith and goes back into her town and a whole town starts believing in Christ. One woman not a very good reputation. She went to the well at noon because I'm sure within her town she was looked down upon. Second thing I think Jesus was teaching his followers, second training thing is that we need to learn to love people with gospel hearts. Loving God requires you to place the same value on people that God does. That was the issue. Why would they want to avoid Samaria? Because people had placed a value on Samaritans different than the value God placed on them. Samaritans were less thans, if you will. 
less than worthy of hearing the gospel. They weren't worthy. No, not them. They had a value less than good Jewish folks. And so Jesus said in the text that he passed through. He had to pass through. And not only did he pass through, he stayed for a couple of days. One of the things that stands out to me in this text is when the disciples come back, there seems to be this kind of urgency by then. Hey, Jesus, you're talking to a Samaritan woman. I got some food, let's eat and let's get out of here. Hurry up and eat, nobody brought you food. And he's like, slow down, lift up your eyes and look. What do you think he was telling them to look at? The text says he's telling them to look at the town that's coming out to where he is. Look, look what's happening, guys. Look, the town's coming out to hear the gospel. People are spiritually thirsty. We have less nans in our own life. Let me give you some examples. These great commandment values of loving God with everything and then loving people I'm going to press in on your heart and my heart to look at the value we assign to people. Here's some less thans possibly for you. For some people, it's rich people. They're less thans. For some people, they're poor people. They're not worthy of the gospel. For some people, it's white collar workers. And for some, it's blue collared workers. For some people, it's white people. For some, it's black people. For some, it's Hispanic people. For some, it's Asians. For some, it's Indians. Oh, they don't worship right. They're not worthy of the gospel like I am. For some, it's Mormons. For some, it's Catholics. For some, it's Baptists. For some, it's Presbyterians that don't know Jesus. They wouldn't be worthy. For some, it's public school teachers. For some, it's Christian school teachers. For some, it's couples that live together. For some, they're divorced couples that you look down on and say they wouldn't be worthy of the gospel and be investing my time. For some, it's people with tattoos. For some, it's homosexuals. For some, it's those on welfare. For some, it's those in prison. For some, they're alcoholics. For some, they're drug addicts. For some, they're Republicans. For some, they're Democrats. For some, they're independents. Oh, you know, you've got a higher value than those that are far from God. Jesus doesn't assign that value to anyone because the deal is this. As we've discovered before, we've been created in the image of God to have a relationship with God. And the truth is, we're on the same boat until Jesus rescues us. We're all separated from God. All separated. So be careful of the value you place on somebody as being unworthy for you to share the gospel with. For you to say that they're not worthy. How's your heart this morning? Do you have a value you place on people that are not like God's? 
Jesus had to go through Samaria to break the less than mindset. And we might have a less than mindset that we need broken of. Finally, the last piece that I think Jesus was teaching. Be on mission always. Make sure your heart is a heart that wants to engage people in the gospel. The third point. He was teaching them to engage people with the gospel. Loving God requires gospel proclamations. We learned that many from the city believed in Christ. Listen to the wording for a moment with me. There are multiple places in this long text we looked at. Jesus uses his words like living water. He would do that again in John chapter 7. Living water that would be water that bubbles up and never ends. It's fresh, it's clean. Water would have a reference to ceremonial cleansing. Water would have a meaning for baptism. He uses the word Messiah, that I am the Messiah. He uses the words I am. The word salvation appears in this text. Spirit and truth and savior appears in this text. Jesus didn't just go to Samaria to make friends with the Samaritans. He didn't go there just to be nice to people that most people didn't treat them very nicely. He went there intentionally to say that he is the savior of the world and that anyone that would come to him can be made right with God. Jesus was teaching his disciples how to engage people with the gospel. Can, can you engage people with the gospel? Well, if you've been with us long, we've through the years tried to teach what the gospel is. But we get caught up in maybe too often thinking I have to have this big, lengthy interaction and discussion. When simply Jesus confronted her in a pretty short confrontation with the gospel. Here's the gospel. First, everyone's created by God and for God. We learn that in Colossians 1. Every single one of us created by God for God, to have a relationship with him. But something happened. Sin enters the world and separates us from relationship with God. Isaiah 59, verse two, your sin has separated you from God so that God cannot even look upon you. So sin enters the world, breaks this relationship, and by the way, all of us are sinners by nature and by choice. Every one of us. So the relationship that we were made to have with God is now broken. So Jesus now is the one who can restore and reconcile this broken relationship. 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that we could be declared righteous in God's eyes. That's the engagement Jesus was having with the Samaritan woman. And finally, belief in Jesus restores us to God. Romans 5.1 says that when we are justified by Christ, we now have peace with God. That's the message. That's the message that 
the disciples in Jesus' time were to carry. That's the message we are to carry. Is it more than just us praying a prayer, maybe walking an aisle when uh, you were younger, and that's it? It's not. If you have the best news in the world, you're going to want to share that with someone. Right? I mean, if Jesus is truly that good news for you, you want to tell everybody, I was lost, but now I'm found. I've been restored to God. The peace and the joy that I was seeking has been found. I can put my head on the pillow at night knowing my sins are forgiven. That's what we're called to do. Do you have bypasses? Do you have less thans? Are you able to share the gospel? I give you a very quick, very quick way to do that. Jesus didn't tell the Samaritan woman, look, you worship wrong. You got to move down to Jerusalem. You got to start worshiping in the temple in Jerusalem because your way is wrong. You got to make sure you're there on time, dressed a certain way, look in the park. He confronted her with him being the Messiah, the Savior. I am he. He confronted her heart. He confronted my heart a long time ago. And I responded. We celebrated with Ben and Sarah. He confronted their heart. And probably right now, there's some of you he's confronting your heart. And you're stuck in the same situation as the Samaritan woman, what are you going to do with Jesus? Let's pray. Jesus, thank you this morning that as we looked at this story, we can clearly see the value you put on people that are lost and separated from you. And that this mission you took the disciples on is really the same kind of mission you want to take us on. You want to take us into our world, to those places we want to bypass because they're an interruption. It's a place I don't want to go. There are people I don't want to deal with. But you put us in workplaces and family reunions and vacations. And you say, this is the opportunity to live for me. Jesus, you also said that you were going into Samaria because people placed a value on Samaritans less than the value you placed. Lord, for those people in our life that we see as unworthy to hear the gospel, forgive us. And Lord, this morning, help us to be gospel bearers and gospel sharers. You do the work of converting hearts. Our, our job is to simply point them to the Jesus that saved us. Will you help us to do that? Lord, for those who are listening this morning that you're impressing on their hearts after watching baptisms and after hearing your scriptures and being face to face with you, Jesus, this morning, I would pray for those who know they are separated 
and that you're calling back to yourself. Lord, would you draw them to yourself? They simply just confess their sin, confess that they cannot work their way back to you and that you are the Messiah. You alone are the Savior, the way, the truth, and the life. And might they repent and bow their knee in their heart to you, asking for forgiveness and restoration. And in doing that, you promise to do it. So I pray for them at this moment. Lord, thank you this morning you saved us. You didn't put a less than on our birth certificate. In Jesus' name, amen.